is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And this week, Emily is still out making memories with her family or whatever. So in her stead, uh, I am very happy to welcome back to the show, Anaki Garcia. Thank you. I'm happy to be here again. I am not coming to you from the happiest place on earth. We'll leave that to Emily, but we're we're doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) Utah is not the happiest place on earth? It's not. It's, it's, It's all right. I had some okay Chinese food last night. It's not too cold, so we'll call it a win. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the unhappiest place. It it, it could be less happy. Yeah. Right now, we'll take that as a win. Anaki, will you remind the listeners a little bit of, like, who you are, what you do? Yeah, I'm a, a newly minted trivia person. I got into a lot of the trivia podcasts and other competitions after going on Jeopardy and being like, wow, there's a whole world of people who do this all the time. So it's it's fun, and I'm getting to know it all. I met Kyle on Jeopardy. We both ended up in the Tournament of Champions. We were against each other in our first game. So that was kind of a good time. I could not have chosen a better person to lose a game to. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, Gilbert, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, we it was it was a good time, and um, ever since then I've been trying to just keep up. I I've been on this podcast once before. It's been a while, and I am in Salt Lake City, and here I am a instructional designer. I manage a little team of instructional designers, and that's basically people who make online training modules. And our job is to make them not terrible because it's easy to make them terrible, and we try to make them a little more bearable. So that's my day job, and then I do trivia stuff by night and I'm a cook just kind of a a home cook who likes to play around I do a little bit of side writing I write for a local blog on on the local food scene and eat go outside do stuff like that in my free time yeah you're doing the lord's work there with those training modules tell you yes Uh, there's a lot of a lot of room for improvement (laughs) yeah I'm currently working on my like OSHA credential yeah Yep. And uh, the ones that you have to take the compliance training, mm-hmm. the people who are in charge of putting those out, like, do not care. They're like, well, they have to take it. So just mm-hmm. whatever it comes out. And we're like, no, oh, could you could you make it a little less tedious? No, it's fine. It's that the law. They have to work. take it. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, thank you for being here. Yes. All right. So let's jump into the shows. This is the week of February 21st, 2022. And on Monday... We have the contestants Henry Rizicki, a physician and professor from Richmond, Virginia, Lindy Smith, a server from Louisville, Colorado, and Carter Lockwood, an attorney from Columbia, South Carolina, whose one-day cash winnings total $17,401. We have the Jeopardy round categories, Artists on the Move, The Korean War, Trees, Las Vegas Hotel Names, TV Double Takes, and Ends with out o-u-t in quotation marks uh the tv double takes was a mashup of two character names from different shows and you had to name the actor yeah i thought it was pretty ambitious for a 
a Jeopardy round, you know, low stakes. <laughs> I thought they were a little bit yeah. of head scratchers, but they were fun. Yeah, I agree. It took multiple steps. And I think any right. trivia question, especially timed like on Jeopardy, that takes multiple steps is going to be a real challenge. But oh. yeah, these were a fun set. One of my first observations is the artist on the move category. I'm an art person. I like art history. And I thought these were a little hard for a, an initial I did round. Too. I was pretty like, oh, you're you're asking us to use a lot of brain cells, especially that $200 clue. It went as a triple stumper. And I, I know exactly why. So the, the clue read, after a trip to Egypt, French artist Jean-Léon Jérôme captured men being attentive inside one of these structures. And I think they thought it was an easy clue. I think the writers put it there because inside a structure in Egypt, it's got to be a mosque, even if you didn't know the artist. But I think your brain first would go to pyramid, even though people don't typically go inside pyramids. I think as a $200 clue, that's what people's brains would have jumped to. So I I think that's nobody was willing to, to jump in. And that's not a well-known painter. No. That's not a 200-level painter. So I was a little perplexed by that. Clue. Yeah, no, I I agree there. And in this round, the category of trees, which I thought was a little friendlier than some of the others, um, the $800 clue is where the Daily Double appeared. And that clue was a giant tree bears the name of a Cherokee leader who created a writing system. So I think this one is pretty gettable. Um, mm. If you think of it, a giant tree has only got to be a sequoia. And if you know that there's a Cherokee leader named Sequoia, that's all it could be. So I thought that was one of the nicer daily doubles we've seen <laughs> this week. Yeah, Henry found that one and he, he got it right. Uh, he extended his lead. I was like, well, giant tree is Sequoia or Redwood. And Sequoia sounds like like a Cherokee leader. <laughs> like I would take that guess. Yep. The writing system fact is pretty cool. I remember learning about that way back in school one time that he actually invented a, a, an alphabet for a Cherokee. Pretty cool. neat from a language nerd point of view. So. Oh yeah, for cool sure. Guy. Yeah. The development of writing systems is really fascinating. Yeah. So then we ended up at the end of that round and um, Carter was in the lead. Henry was about half the way behind him and Lindy was a little bit behind him. So not too shabby start for double jeopardy. We got into the double jeopardy round and the categories were around the world in 50 seconds, which I thought was a little interesting and creative. Wondered what that was. Bad people in books. Space kind of huge. Thy fearful symmetry. Back me up and scrambled hats. So the writers were having a good day here. Yes. Yes, they were. There's a triple stumper in that back me up category at the $800 level. John Lennon not only co-wrote this Bowie song that asks, what's your name? What's your name? He also sang on it. Nobody tried, tried it. That was fame. And Ken kind of sang it. Now, I remember when contestants would sing, uh, they would have yeah. to retape it. <laughs> the, the producers would say, we need you to do that again where you just say the answer. Right. Not get us a, a copyright infringement. <laughs> yeah. Just in case. Going on. Just in case. We get dinged with a with a you know copyright issue, so clearly there wasn't a copyright issue there, which is good. I'm glad yeah. for Kent that he didn't get in trouble there. So it could either be there could be a safe list of these songs we have the okay for, or the fact that it was only one word makes me wonder if that's easier could to get be. away with. Who knows? Could be. That's that's fair. That's fair. But I don't think I knew that John Lennon co-wrote and sang on that. That was a a new fact to me. So that was pretty cool. Oh yeah, I certainly didn't know that. Woefully bad at music. <laughs> 
after like 1920. <laughs> it's all the same after that point on, right? That's right. Yes. <laughs> Once you get into bebop, everything just sounds the same, you know. <laughs> oh, you rhythm and blues kids. Yep. I really liked the category about thy fearful symmetry, which is a a line from a poem, right? Mm-hmm. The tiger is at the William Blake, but um, an actual just a category based on symmetry, just the concept. That was kind of neat. A little yeah. more conceptual out there, um, whether it's you know like a palindrome or visible symmetry. So I, I enjoyed that. I didn't know the triple stumper either. The uh, the math law, the associative law. I I would have had to think for a few hours before I even got close to that. Yeah, I yeah. It's been a while since I've thought about those. It's always fun when my students like are having trouble with math homework, and I'm like, let me see if I can help. Oh yeah, it's been 15 years. I cannot help. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're looking at very specific things here. Nope. Nope, yep. I cannot. All right. Daily Double number two is in the space kind of huge category at the $2,000 level. Uh, Henry finds this one as well. He's at 9200 Carter is at 9800 And Lindy's at 4800 And he wagers 2200 He gets a clue. Launched in 1989, the Galileo craft took the long way around to this planet in a six-year, 2.4 billion mile circuitous route. And he remembers what Galileo looked at and gets it correct with what is Jupiter. Yeah, and that was definitely the get in that question. Um, I think with the time crunch, I'm I'm a person who did not do well on daily doubles. The the pressure of the time crunch made my brain turn off. But uh, I, it was definitely a question written for finding that clue. So he mm-hmm. found it and got it. And then the second Daily Double on, in this round, I guess a third of the game, was found in the Bad People in Books category. So asking for a little bit of literature know-how. Lindy found it. She was at 5,200 and she wagered 5,200. So old wager there was not able to find the answer to. Smallpox is but one of the retributions suffered by the villainous Madame de Merteuil in this 1782 French novel, which... I don't know. Is that is that an easy one for you to get to? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, good. I don't feel bad because I was even a French major, and I was like, this is one of the trashy French novels. I can't remember which one, so I don't know if I would have got to it in time, but it was uh, Dangerous Liaisons. That's from yeah. that, that period of French history where everything was very scandalous. And <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, that's a title I've heard, but I was like, that is that is definitely not on my short list of, of novels that I really need to know for trivia right. purposes. That, yeah, right. I, thought, I thought that was a deeper cut. The other famous trashy French novel is Madame Bovary, and that's probably what I would have gotten to first and tried to guess. But next time <laughs> trashy French novel comes up, guess one of those two, and you'll probably be okay. <laughs> okay. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, Lindy drops down to, to zero, but she makes a pretty good comeback yeah. uh, going well into final. Carter's at 9,800, Lindy's at 6,000, and Henry's at 12,600. Mm-hmm. We have the final Jeopardy category, Historic European Families. And the clue, this family has been traced to the Mugello Valley around the year 1200, and the name suggests the trade of physician. And they all got it. Yeah. Lindy wrote, what, who are the Medici, or Medici, and wagered 4,000, so she goes up to 10,000. Carter also got it correct with who are the Medicis, and wagered 2801, so he ends up a dollar ahead of Henry, but Henry got it correct as well with a cover bet of 7501, so Henry is the new champion yeah good game 
that last question was probably one that most people could have gotten from, gotten from the title of the category alone. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're going to blind guess famous European families, it's like, well, Medici, Borgia, or and then you can go to the Royal. Obscure, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, OK, if it's not one of those two, like, hopefully they point us to a particular country. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Latin root in there. Easy for people to find. And it was a fun game. So our Tuesday game, um, our contestants who come up today are Holly Ambler, a user experience researcher from Seattle, Washington. Hugh Tontat, a trauma surgeon from Chicago, Illinois. And Henry Rosicki, a physician and professor from Richmond, Virginia. So we've got two physicians going up against each other today see how they do in their various backgrounds and expertise but mm-hmm. um pretty fun looking game jeopardy round came up as feb we wary feb feb be wary that's hard to say it's a, a dumb pun <laughs> in the olympic city marxism also a school word and free stuff and tweets kind of a, a fun light-hearted set the February, February category. Um, I thought it was pretty, pretty easy overall, but also gave us some fun historical tidbits thrown in there. I know the fact that uh, they asked about the sea captain caught and killed by locals in Hawaii in February 1779. I think that was on Valentine's Day too, um, mm-hmm. Captain Cook. So that's a one of those history t- tidbits that. It's a day of love and also not a very fun day if you were Captain Cook in Hawaii that time. Right. Or uh, or a certain gang in Chicago. Right, uh, different, right. Different year. But yes, so. I did. I don't know how long ago it was, but I did do a deep dive on Captain Cook. Uh, yeah. So there, there's another connection to one of the many deep dives we've done. Man, we're like, it's like 113 <laughs> at this point. Um, I say you're going to run out of categories, but. Well, that's kind of what we're thinking about, like. Jeopardy only really does cycle through things a lot. We're kind of we're going to get to a point where it's like, man, we've talked about everything they ask. I think you can keep going because I almost picked today from the tweets category. I'm on Twitter a little too much. Um, I loved the clue about Deanne Warwick because she is hilarious. She just recently got on Twitter. She's a lot of fun. And this clue, I remember this this going on. Uh, it says Deanne Warwick asked him, if you are very obviously a rapper, why did you put it in your stage name? I cannot stop thinking about this. And she was talking, of <laughs> course, to Chance the Rapper. He was honored and a little mollified and tweeted back and replied to her. So that was a fun pop culture moment that I almost did a deep dive into Dionne Warwick's Twitter, but I uh, another category for today. That actually so, would be pretty cool. <laughs> so I think, see, I think you've still got a lot of places. You can sure. <laughs> Dionne Warwick's Twitter at least is still open to us. I'll right, keep that right. in mind. You can have that um, one for next week. <laughs> yeah. Going back to that February category. The um, $1,000 clue was a triple stumper. Cochise's detainment in February 1861 ultimately led to a war with these people of his in the Arizona Territory. He guessed who are the Cherokee. To my knowledge, the Cherokee never made it that far. No, they were very Eastern. They yeah. got resettled into Oklahoma. Into Oklahoma, but that's... But they weren't... Yeah, they yeah. weren't a Southwest tribe. To me, that was an instigate. Uh, the Apache, right. Cochise, yeah. and Geronimo were two of their famous warriors. But I guess if you didn't grow up in the West. That's not as big of a part of your, your daily right. environment. So, right. Yeah. Like if the, if the question is Arizona, there are a number, a mm-hmm. good number of different nations that are now associated with Arizona, but Apache is a big one. Pro- probably, probably if they, if Jeopardy's asking about Arizona, they're probably asking about Apache. Um, right. I mean, I guess they could be, there could be Hopi, there could be some others, but 
And they were one of the few nations that really fought back, so they're well known for that war. So yep. that's, a, that's a good association to make in your mind. The Apache were the ones who fought back. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number one is in the Olympic City category at the $800 level. It's pick number five. Henry finds this one. Uh, it's early in the round. He has 600. He has 400. Holly has zero. He wagers 1,000. That's absolutely should do. Gets the clue. The Palace of Catalan Music, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And he gets that correct. And that is Barcelona. That sounds like a fascinating place that I would love to go. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, the clue there being Catalan, because um, right. Barcelona's in Catalonia. Um, also, if you just kind of know that that's Spain. I Have there been any other Olympics in Spain besides Barcelona? It's the only one I can think of. I so. don't know. I mean, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I've been to one. Madrid. I've been to Madrid a couple of times, and I don't remember anything Olympic. Mm-hmm. And I also don't remember there being an Olympics in, in Madrid. So that would yeah. really be the only other city. That's the only one. So, yeah. yeah, most of those that category was pretty gettable. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was it was fun if you know your Olympics. So, yeah. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Henry is in the lead at fifty four hundred. He was at twenty eight hundred and Holly is at two thousand. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, the sixteen hundreds, books and authors, iconography, best spoken word Grammy, blank of blank and tweets. But this time it's talking about birds. I see what you did there, writers, but that was fun. I enjoyed these categories as well. I thought that was, they were well done. We landed on the next Daily Double in the Best Spoken Word Grammy category for 1600 um, Hugh found it. He was at 5200 and he wagered 3000 So sounds like he was pretty confident. That clue was 2001 honored Q, the autobiography of this music legend who has 28 Grammys. The answer, of course, the famous music legend whose name starts with Q, Quincy Jones. That's right. So I think if you know a little bit about that world and you got that clue of Q, that that one's going to be pretty gettable for you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he added that to his score. I always teach my students about Quincy Jones. Very, very important figure. He's great. And then I found out that Rashida Jones is his daughter. And I was like, whoa. Yes, Rashida Jones is his daughter, one of one of many children. Uh, yes. And her mom is uh, Peggy Lipton from Twin Peggy Peaks. Peggy Lipton. Mm-hmm. That's, that sticks in my mind. I'm like, you've got such a cool background there. So, yes. There we go. Yes. Quincy has a, has a big, big family at this point. <laughs> I enjoyed the 1600s category. It's kind of a little period of history that's not as fresh in your mind. It's I think it's in that, that time period that's not recent enough to know really well and not ancient enough to be you know, attention catching and cool. So I think that's a good double jeopardy category. And my deep dive that I'll get to later comes from this category. So I'll leave you in suspense to guess which one it is. (laughs) Well, I mean, for, for the sake of transparency, I know what it is listeners. So (laughs) I'm gonna, I'll ask about it at that point. Daily double number three is in the iconography category at the $800 level. Hugh finds this one. He is at 13,400. Henry's at 15,000 and Holly's back at 3,600. And he would use 2,000 to try and get a small lead. I think that's probably the right bet or, or something similar. I wouldn't go too big with only one clue left on the board. Um, but if you can get into the lead, that's a good place to be. He gets the clue. The base that the Bodhisattva sits on is a stylized version of this symbolic flower. Also the name of the position he's in. And they showed a picture of the Buddha 
and he gets it correct with what is a lotus. So it's close going in the final between Henry and Hugh, who've been neck and neck. 15,000 for Henry, 15,4 for Hugh, and 3,600 for Holly, who's still hanging on there. And the final Jeopardy category is American women, which is interesting. That could, um, that could be several different genres of why these women were noteworthy. The clue ends up being in 1914, she received a patent on a trefoil emblem, which she would transfer to an organization a few years later. And if you, like me, know this time of year for a very special reason that has the word trefoil in it, that would be Girl Scout cookies. (laughs) Uh, The only time (laughs) I hear trefoil anymore. Right. I don't think we use it anywhere else, but it is still stamped on that cookie, and those things are still pretty good. So um, the answer to that is, of course, Juliet Gordon Lowe, the founder of the Girl Scouts, which I would have gotten. I was a, a little Girl Scout back in my day, but I don't know how well known that is if you weren't. So um, it looks like all three of our contestants missed it. We had uh, Julia Howe. I think she was getting close there. We had a guess of Margaret Sanger and then Baker. So they were they were all trying to get there and none of them did. We ended up with Henry taking away another day as champion with 7,200. Hugh down to 700 and Holly down to 600. So Juliet Gordon-Lowe stumping all of our smart, smart competitors. Yes, she brings them low. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they felt. But that does mean that Henry holds on to his position. So going into Wednesday, we have the contestants Christine Welchel, a piano teacher and church organist from Spring Hill, Tennessee, Patrick Burnett, a school administrator from Alexandria, Virginia, and Henry Rizicki, a physician and professor from Richmond, Virginia, whose two-day cash winnings are now $27,301. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, highways and byways. There's an animal in that title, broom service, musical styles and genres, putting the carbs... And before the horse, this is one of those categories Uh where, yeah, (laughs) first off, the pun, cool. Uh, Another one of those categories where it's like each correct response will start with H, but be before horse in the dictionary. So it's H-O-R something. So a a lot to think about, two qualifications there. I think just thinking of words that start with H-O-R is going to be close enough for you. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I mean, the clues are clear enough that it you're not going to end up with another option that's that comes after horse, right? Like the 600. This Mexican delight is sort of a drinkable rice pudding. That's horchata. There's not another, there's not another term for that. Right. Which, by the way, horchata is excellent. Yes. I guess good horchata is excellent. Yeah, when it's not good, they have they have gas station horchata here. It's very sweet, and I don't know if it actually has any rice in it, but. No, it's, it's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like knockoff horchata is like, do you like drinking the milk after cinnamon toast crunch? We'll call that horchata. <laughs> right. Central American horchata. I'm going to talk about horchata for a minute here, but Central American horchata is based on rice. but They also put another grain in there. It's a seed called moro. Like I can't roll my double R's, but M-O-R-R-O. Okay. <laughs> and it gives it another kind of little toasty flavor. So that's what my husband's family has. Um, we made it from scratch once, and that was way too labor intensive to do that very often. But if you ever get a chance at a Salvadoran or Honduran place, try some of that Central American horchata. You will not be disappointed. Really? We have we actually have a we have two uh, Salvadorian places within in like, you know, spitting distance from our house. It did not occur to me that the horchata would be different. But yeah, now that it, it now that I know that if it's kind of gray, grayish brown, that's what's going on. That OK, a little next, grain in there. Yeah. Next time we get pupusas, we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. do that. 
Um, in this round, we ended up with the first daily double in the highways and byways category, uh, the $800 clue. So probably pretty gettable. Um, Henry landed on this. He had 4400 and he wagered 2000 and ended up being able to figure out what they were asking for. Gulag labor was used to build the 7,000-mile highway with the same name as a famous railroad. So I think if you see the word gulag in there, it'll clue you into which part of the world we're talking about. And hopefully you've heard of the Trans-Siberian Railroad, the Trans-Siberian Highway, or the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and one of those three will get you to the correct answer. I always right. wondered how they were named that. Is that where they're from? Do they perform on the Trans-Siberian Railroad. Oh, uh, <laughs> why Trans-Siberian Orchestra is named that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, man, you know, I think I knew this at one point. I think I truly knew this, but I, it's it's based on the Trans-Siberian Railroad idea, uh-huh. I think. And at one point, at one point in my life, I was trying to think of them, and I got them confused with the Silk Road Ensemble, who are oh, similarly, <laughs> similarly named, entirely different musical experience. Oh, very different. Although, listeners, if you do check, like if you've never heard of the Silk Road Ensemble, check them out because I mean, Yo Yo Ma for one, but like the whole, yeah, the whole group is very good. Yes, do not go into it thinking you're listening to the Trans Siberian Orchestra. No. <laughs> And uh, I'm just going to throw out the musical styles and genres category uh, I did very well in, which I'm glad because anytime a music category comes up and I don't do well, I'm like, man, I'm an embarrassment. <laughs> like It's like, yeah, this is yeah. supposed to be what I do anyway. So at the end of that round, going into Double Jeopardy, we had Henry at 5,800, Patrick 2,000, Christine at 8,000 pulling into the lead. Our clues there were notable people. Science, a little bit vague there. Country nicknames. Are you smarter than a 1905 fifth grader? Child actors and from P to Y. I did enjoy that category. That's the writers being creative, but I thought that was an interesting way to to put a little world history in with the concept of are you smarter than a fifth grader? Mm-hmm. You know this. <laughs> yeah. And they did they did trip them up a little bit. One clue um, in geography was saying it's the largest state in the union by area. So Christine rang in and said, what is Alaska? And then we went, "Uh uh-oh, remember 1905. So it should have been Texas. So I see what they did there. And they caught her. They did. Category. (laughs) Yes. Daily Double number two is in the notable people category at the $1,200 level. It's pick number 13. Christine finds it. (laughs) She's at 14,000. Uh, Henry's at 9,800 and Patrick is at 2,400 and she wagers 3,000. I like it. Maybe a little more would have been fine too, but it's not bad. Yeah, she's in a good position. Yeah, like she, she's got room to play. Uh, she gets a clue. On her death in 2005, this civil rights activist became the first woman to lie in honor in the U.S. Capitol. She gets correct with who is Rosa Parks. Yeah, I think that civil rights activist, that's really, who else could it have been with that yeah. high level of claim? So. I mean, there were a lot of women involved in the civil rights movement, but I think for a Jeopardy question, that's who they're going to. Right. If if the question is name a woman in the civil rights movement, the first exactly. name that's probably going to come to mind is Rosa Parks. And then uh, not too much longer afterwards, clue 16, Christine finds the next Daily Double in country nicknames. She's at uh, 18,200 and bets 2,000 on country nicknames. Um, she gets the clue. Don't be sad. This country is known as India's teardrop, which I think is cute. And I haven't heard that before. She picks the wrong India neighbor. 
she picks Bangladesh, but the answer there they're looking for is Sri Lanka because it does look just like a little teardrop right there at the end of the, the Indian subcontinent. It does. I wonder how Sri Lankans feel about that <laughs> nickname. We should ask them. We should ask them and find out. Or is that just us? Is that just some Anglophones who saw it on the map and decided that it was going to be a that's, See, that's what, I'm, that's what my guess is. Sri Lanka shares uh, ethnic identity with mainland Indian people, the Tamil in, in particular. But also, I mean, I knew a Sri Lankan family. And I got the impression that their identity as Sri Lankan is kind of important, right? It's <laughs> like right. <laughs> distinct from India. But who knows? Maybe maybe they're cool with it. Maybe they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what we are. I don't know. We need to ask. <laughs> so if we have any Sri Lankan listeners, please let us know. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Henry is at 17,000. Patrick is at 8,800. And Christine is at 19,000. We have the final jeopardy category play characters. And the clue, a 1949 review noted the, quote, wrong formulas for success, end quote, of this character and, quote, fatal misconceptions about his place in the scheme of things. All three of them got this correct, which makes sense. This is a name to know and a play to know. Patrick wrote, who is Willie Loman? And that is uh, from Death of a Salesman. And he wagered everything. So he goes up to 17,600. Henry also got it correct with who's Willie Loman, and he also wagered everything, which is not strategic, as we have talked about many times. I mean, this is episode 100-something, right? Maybe he's super big on his plays in theater, and he just thought it was in the bag, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know what? If he you make the wager based on how you feel and everything, right. statistically, not the most strategic bet, but whatever. He moves up to 34,000. And Christine also got it correct with who is Willie Loman, and she wagered 15,000 instead of 15,001. Right, right. So we go to a tie, like unnecessarily. We go to a tiebreaker. The tiebreaker question is, or the category is flowers. And of course, I'm sure listeners all know this, but just in case you don't, it's just between the two of them, and it's a question is read. Whoever rings in first and gives the right answer, that's it. They win. Uh, and the other person ends up with $2,000 in second place. The clue was, after its inclusion in a 1915 poem, this red flower became a symbol of fallen World War I soldiers. Christine got in first with what is poppy. So she wins $34,000. Henry yeah. wins 2000 <laughs> He had that 34 on his screen for that brief moment and had to go home with two. But exciting end to the game. But yeah, one $1 more would have made that <laughs> tiebreaker unnecessary. Yeah. Make a cover bet, folks. It's just easier. If you're in the lead, if you are in the lead going into Final Jeopardy, just make a cover bet. Unless the category is specifically, you won't know this. Like, if, if the category was, for me, nothing that Kyle could possibly know, then maybe I'd bet zero or something. But, yeah, just make a cover bet. All right, so we are into Thursday. Our contestants for today's show are Anne Large, a bar and restaurant owner from Washington, D.C., Lucian Wang, a law clerk from New York, New York, and Christine Welchel, a piano teacher and church organist from Spring Hill, Tennessee, who's now a one-day champion with $34,000 to her name. We start out the Jeopardy round with Book of the Year, which makes me nervous right away because there's too many books. You can't ever know them all, but some people somehow do. Um, Parish from the Earth, Parish spelled P-A-R-I-S-H, Hodgepodge, Senate Committees, the Hall of Famer's position and the inner ear with ear in quotation marks. So if this was me on that podium, I'd be nervous right now because literature, Senate committees and Hall of Famer sports are three things that I am not super great at. 
Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, it's just the Jeopardy round, so not a lot of high stakes, but I'd be nervous <laughs> out of the gate here. Uh, what about Louisiana parishes? You feel comfortable about Louisiana geography? Oh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they did. I, I noticed they wrote them pretty gettable. Yeah, they gave there's, you lots of clues, which was nice. There's only a few of them that you ended up actually having to know anything about Louisiana for. So, but yeah, maybe there's someone out there who's the um the the complement of my trivia abilities who would be really happy to see this board. It'd be fun to meet that person. <laughs> yeah, that uh the Hall of Famers position. I, I never feel confident with my sports knowledge, but I actually I have my dad to thank for all of the stuff that I picked up in my childhood from him because I actually did pretty well. I did not know the thousand dollar. I did not grow up in a in a hockey a hockey household. Uh, the thousand dollar clue was Harry Applecheeks Lumley and George Vizina of Trophy fame. Uh, that's hockey goalie. Solution got that. I had no idea. But the eight hundred dollar clue, probably because. We're Chicago fans in, in my household. Dick Buckus, Mike Singletary, and Brian Urlacher. Same team, different decades. Those are all linebackers. Yeah. For the Chicago Bears. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Daily Double number one is in the Senate committees category, which also was not very strong for me either. I got a few of them, but uh, don't feel comfortable with that. Uh, is that the $800, $800 level? It's pick number six. Anne finds it. She is at 1200 Christine is at zero. Lucian's at 400 and she bets it all, which you always should do in the Jeopardy round, no matter how much money you have. She gets a clue. In 2006, this committee voted 10 to 8 to send the Alito nomination to the full Senate. Ooh, she says, what is the judicial committee? Ken hesitates and then rules her incorrect before she can get out the judiciary committee. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah. yeah, but it is a judiciary committee and that's a different word. So it's incorrect. Uh, so she drops to zero, but it's only pick number six. It's very, very early. Uh, and by the end of the Jeopardy round, Christine is in the lead at 6,800. Lucian's at 1,400, and Anne is up to 3,200. We have the double Jeopardy categories, historic women, lit constellations, nautical lingo, that 70s show, and rhyming synonyms. I know that you have a, you have a background in like linguistics and such. I don't know how or, or how, how much you you feel about synonyms i did not feel that all of these were necessarily synonyms uh, yeah they were uh, english is <laughs> close to that is it a synonym or is it just a very similar word i think the fact that they were rhyming most people would probably just get it close enough from that and then you could ponder over whether a dancer and a prancer are really the same thing for a while after that but i, mm. I don't know <laughs> yeah i love word categories actually i these kind of things are my jam but I don't take a lot of time to think about them at the time. So I would have just gone for what sounded like a rhyme. And I think I would have known them all. The fun one is in 2000, a tasty descriptor for the six types of quarks and to relish in the moment. And um, the fact that quarks have flavors, and I, I never know who named that, but I, I've always loved that. The, the six flavors of quarks. So savor mm-hmm. and flavor being the answers there. I liked that. For sure. But again, flavor and savor to me are not synonyms. Right. To savor something, to flavor it? No, to flavor is to add flavor. To savor is to taste the flavor. So, yeah. yeah, Very, very loose use of the word synonym there. Yeah. (laughs) So the next Daily Double we run into is clue number five, pretty early in the round, in the historic women category, which is fun because we had notable women as a Daily Double just the other day. This is the $800 clue. And Christine lands there. She's at 8,400, quite a bit in the lead 
of Lucian was 200 and with 3,200, so she bets 3,000. Um, but this is a tricky one. This is the one where your brain wants to say one thing and it's a little harder to get to the right answer quickly. Uh, the war of Austrian succession was fought over whether she should succeed to the throne, which she did in 1740. The answer to that is Maria Theresa, which if you're pretty familiar with the European ruling families, then you can get to. But I think that, well, this is just my brain. For me, Marie Antoinette comes up when I think of Austrian, and then that's not mm -hmm. it. So um, I think that would have been a little bit of a pressure cooker. So she actually got Catherine the Great, which is wrong country, but at least the similar era. So I think that Austrian royalty is a little bit more obscure than um, your average American history fan would necessarily know off the top of their head. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I knew it was Maria Theresa just because I like I, I know. But yeah, Marie Antoinette definitely comes to mind, especially for the 1700s. But I mean, Christine guessed a name. It's better to guess something than nothing because nothing's always wrong. Oh, so. I guess something. I did like some of the other clues in that category, the historic women. Um, the... Actually, Black Twitter roasted these connections <laughs> a little bit because nobody knew Madam C.J. Walker, who was one of America's first made female millionaires. She was the founder of a beauty empire and the subject of a Netflix series. So if you're a little bit rusty in your black history, it might be a good Netflix series to go check up on. She has a pretty fascinating life story. Yep. Daily Double number three is in the nautical lingo category at the $1,200 level. It's pick number 19 and uh, Lucian finds it. So each one has found a daily double in this game. It's nice to see it spread out. He's at 7,400. Christine's at 8,200. And Anne is back at 400. And he wagers 4,000. I like the move to, to get some separation and a lead. It's a clue. A boat that doesn't list was said to be on this, which now means a calm disposition. He guesses what is peaceful, but they were looking for an even keel, which I can yeah. see being a little bit tricky if you're looking for a one word answer. Right. But it, it was more of an idiom. I think that one would take a little, a little bit to get to. So, yeah, even keel came to mind and I was like on even keeled. How does that work? Yeah, it didn't. I would not have been confident. I don't know if I would have said it. Not a calling is a little bit of a scary category to begin with. So I would have been thinking, oh, this is some weird word that I don't know exists. Um, mm. So, yeah, poor Lucian gave it to try, but didn't get there in time. Yeah. So going into final, Christine is at 12,600. She's actually got a runaway, a lock game against Lucian at 4,600 and Anne at 1,200, which is good news if you want to win, but actually not good news if you want to win a lot of money because nobody right. can be betting very much. So if you end up in that position, it's, it's good for you. You get to move on, but it doesn't really rack up the money. Of course, most people who play Jeopardy aren't there for a multi-day winning streak of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Christine might be on her way, but um, she's doing okay for now. The category is fictional families who um, I think that's kind of a fun question. It's going to make you think literature, TV, mm -hmm. something like that. The clue ends up being introduced in the 1930s in the New Yorker. They've appeared on TV and Broadway and in live action and animated films. And this one I would have known from the New Yorker, but I didn't know that until very recently. So I think if you didn't know the history, you wouldn't have known that this was the Adams Family. They were actually a New Yorker cartoon before they showed up on TV. And Lucian is the only one who gets there with Who Are the Adams Family and guesses the Von Trapps, who are fictional, but are actually not fictional. Right, <laughs> they were they're a real family. <laughs> real family, they were fictionalized. Fictionalized. 
Christine can't come up with a guess there. Um, but she knew she was on her way to another game. So good, good ending try there by Lucian, and he ends up in second place. That Adams Family musical, it's it's good. It's entertaining. Uh-huh. It's it's enjoyable. I don't know. Like I, we did it at, at my high school, so like I know, <laughs> I know all the songs. I know it. Like I know the whole thing because I sat through hours and hours of rehearsal of it. But it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I like honestly. I don't think you can do better than the movies. Right. But they were they were, they were so good. Uh, so we get to Friday where we have the contestants Teresa Donahoe and inventory planning analyst from Waltham, Massachusetts. Max Fronick, a creative director from West Hollywood, California, and Christine Walchel, a piano teacher and church organist from Spring Hill, Tennessee, whose two-day cash winnings total $44,600. We have the Jeopardy round categories, Big Ten Geography, Common Commodities, The Disney Lady Sings, they have they asked for the movie uh, kinds of care, a few colorful words and last line of a Shakespeare act. Mm-hmm. Christine did very well in the uh, Disney lady category, which I mean, she's a musician, so it makes some sense. But also, I feel like you're going to be more aware of that if you are a parent. <laughs> I knew all of those because I have daughters. Or even yeah. right, even an aunt, or you know, if you have a, a special child in your life, you'll sure, know yeah. way more closely than you ever wanted to. <laughs> right. I guess I shouldn't say parents. There are lots of lots of adults who care for children who aren't their parents. <laughs> well, and I've I've escaped most of the recent ones. I don't know Tangled at all. I try not to listen to Frozen because Let It Go bothered me for so many years. But my children, I have two boys, but they have recently discovered Encanto, so now it's all Encanto all the time every day. Yeah. I'm okay, I'm okay with it so far, but. Encanto, yeah, Encanto's good. I'm, I must be missing something. I like it. It's, it, it is not as impressive to me as it is to everyone else, and that's fine. I don't have to agree. Um, that's, you know, whatever. I just. It does, it does hit a little different if you, if you speak and understand Spanish. Like those Oruguitas is just like, does emotional damage to me every single time I hear it. It's that good. But sure, sure. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> that, which, you know, that, that probably, I'm, I'm sure that's true. But yeah, fun category. I liked yeah. the, I liked that. Um, giving a little shout out to the people who sang. You don't necessarily hear the names of, you know, Paige O'Hara and Brianna Cacciolati very often, but mm-hmm. they get a little bit of credit here on Jeopardy today. Yeah. The first Daily Double comes up in the last line of a Shakespeare act. And Shakespeare is, I like to think I'm pretty good with my Shakespeare, but it's a tricky category because there's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the character names blend together really well, so it can be hard to get it. And I, I really feel for her here with the way she missed it. Um, she was at, see, Christine was at 5,200. Max was at 2,600. She risks 2,500, so she's cutting it pretty close. Teresa's at 400. And she answers, well, the clue says, this title character de- declares... He shall have every day a several greeting or I'll unpeople Egypt. And she knew exactly what they were going for and said, who is Antony? But the answer was Cleopatra from Antony and Cleopatra. So flip of a coin there. And she ended up on the wrong side. Right. Yeah. You had to. uh, You had to. Think that, you know, the person is saying he referring to somebody else. Right. Uh, 
And the $800 clue there, uh, Fortinbras ends Act 5 and this play with Go, Bid the Soldier Shoot. Uh, that was a triple stumper. That's Hamlet. Um, yeah. Fortinbras is a character in Hamlet who doesn't show up till the very end, but is right. mentioned a number of times. He's like a foreign prince. And like I, think the, I think the, the quotation they choose there makes you think of a history play. You know, bid the mm-hmm. I think that was a, a tough one to get if you're if you're not really familiar with those Hamlet characters. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Same with uh, Tempest, the last clue. They they want you to name the character. So Stefano tells him, Obrave wants to lead the way. They're looking for Caliban. So even if you knew that Stefano's in the Tempest, you're going to have to know it really well that he's talking to Caliban in that situation. So. Well placed on that tricky board down there at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, I'm good. You can take us to Double Jeopardy. So going into Double Jeopardy, we have Christine in the lead with 3,100. Max is at, oh no, Christine's not in the lead. Christine is in second place at 31. Max is in the lead with 3,400. Therese is at 600, but pretty close game. Um, The round categories come up as african empires that invention is electric before she was first lady how pungent tv catchphrases and three syllable verbs kind of a fun variety of there um african empires i kind of laughed because there have been a lot of african empires but we as american people do not know that many of them and i was guessing that the five we know are going to be the five we see there (laughs) yeah first question not even a question about the empire it gives you from the 200s to the 800s the ethiopian kingdom of Aksum dominated the southwest coast of this colorful sea all you have to know is where ethiopia is and the fact that the red sea has a color in its name so that right. one was a gimme but the the next ones get a little bit more deep but again there's one of our history categories that we should probably know a little bit a little bit more of as a people <laughs> we'll get there hopefully we'll get there i mean we should get there Daily Double number two is in the before she was first lady category at the $800 level. Pick number nine in the round and Christine finds it. She is at $8,300. Max is at $4,200 and Teresa is at $2,200. And she wagers $2,000. Gets a clue. She appeared on Broadway in Lute Song with Yul Brynner and Mary Martin. And she guessed who is Betty Ford. But that was Nancy Davis or Nancy Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, the famous, of course, actress. Yep. So she was probably going for the age range and was close there, but if she would have landed on actress, I think she would have gotten there. Yeah. And then the second Daily Double, we end up back in the Invention is Electric category for the $1,200 clue, number 12. Um, Max finds that he's at 5400 and he bets 4000 trying to get ahead of Christine, who's at 63 And the clue here is the advocacy of John Council who suffered a spinal injury in the 1942 Dieppe raid. Is it Dieppe? I never pronounced that out loud. But I have no idea. <laughs> led to the first electric one in the 1950s. So this one I think is pretty easy to figure out, even if you've never heard those names before, an mm-hmm. electric wheelchair. The timing's right, and it sounds like something that somebody who had been injured would use. So right. well done there, Max. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Christine is in second place at... 11,500 max is in the lead at 15,000, and Teresa is at 7,400. Get the category awards, and the clue, these awards have a retro version, 
and winners include the novel The Sword in the Stone and the War of the Worlds radio broadcast. Uh, Teresa got it correct with what are the Hugo Awards, which uh, apparently give awards to things in the past before their 1953 founding. Yeah, uh, I don't think I knew that. I did not know that either. And she wagered everything but a dollar. Christine also got it correct with what are the Hugo Awards, so she moves herself up to 15,001, and Max missed it. He put what are the Webbies? That is incorrect, so he drops down to third place, so Christine holds on for her third win, and we'll come back next week. I don't know if I, I... I'm pretty familiar with the Hugo Awards, but I only think about it in terms of literature. I didn't know that a radio broadcast would have figured in there, so I don't know yeah. if I would have gotten there in time. That was a, a pretty good um, poll for both Teresa and Christine. Yeah, I mean, you had to look at that. It was science fiction and fantasy, I guess, uh, to, to point you to the Hugo Awards. Yeah, I, it crossed my mind, but I also had the same thought. I was like, radio broadcast. Well, gosh, that seems like Pulitzer, but Pulitzer's been around a lot longer than that. And would they give it to the Sword and the Stone? Like, I was like, my mind just kept going in circles of like, of where where it would be. So, yeah, that was a good one. Tight game. It'll be interesting to see where Christine goes next week. Funny thing, I knew who Christine was before she showed up on Jeopardy. Um, (laughs) I've seen her around the trivia world. I think she's in some of the Learned League groups I'm in, and Mm -hmm. I've seen her name all over. Um, I thought she had already been on Jeopardy. (laughs) So a couple of Mutual friends who told me, my friend Christine's going to be on Jeopardy. I was like, oh, I thought she already was. She must have a good background and been doing this for a while. So it sounds like she knows what she's doing. Yeah, that's awesome. Built up. Yeah. Uh, So that's the end of the week. And this is the point in the show where we remind our listeners that we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash potent potables. You can go there to check out a little bit of exclusive content. Even if exclusive content is not something you're necessarily looking for, you can still support us financially there. Uh, help offset the costs of, you know, just running the podcast, uh, domain fees, hosting fees, that kind of thing. You can slide us a few bucks. That's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And uh, if you don't necessarily feel that it's that important to support a podcast about Jeopardy and that there are more important things in the world, yes, there are. Normally, we point you to blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, and the Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe page. But also, in addition, obviously, with uh, recent events this week happening in Ukraine, I'm going to encourage you to look into ways to support. I know Save the Children uh, is a pretty good organization that is doing work for Ukrainian refugees. There are also a number of other organizations that are that are doing work there as well. So you can take a look there. Yeah, I actually, um, I love the International Rescue Committee. They're at rescue.org. And they do, they've got a little local group here that helps in my city. They resettle refugees who end up here. They also have a huge global um, presence in places with refugee camps and ongoing conflicts. And they are specifically, I noticed on their webpage the other day, they're specifically setting aside funding to help Ukrainians who are already um, arriving in other countries. So if you, um, I'm, that's a, an organization that I've given to quite a bit in the past and they're pretty great and do good work. So lots of good places out there to set a little bit of, of thoughtfulness in the form of currency that people can use. Yeah. Anyway, Anarchy, you have a deep dive and a quiz and you are going to tell us all about it. I am. This was one of my nerdy favorite categories going back to Tuesday's 1600s category. I'm going to ask you the question and see if you remember the answer that was on the show. 
1644, the Ming Dynasty fell to these conquerors whose dynasty would rule China until the 20th century. Yes, that's the Manchu. That is. It was a Which, triple stumper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and w- one of the contestants guessed the Mongols, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, wasn't there, there a another, Mongol dynasty? Yep, there's another dynasty that was the Mongols. The Manchu were another northern people and kind of related to Mongolians um, in that northern area of what is now northeast China, um, and they became the de facto rulers. So actually the Han Chinese, who make up the vast majority of the Chinese population in today's present-day you know, China boundaries, um, even though they are the cultural majority, they were not the ones running the last dynasty right up until the 20th century. So that's a pretty interesting yeah. piece of information. And I... I enjoy a little dabbling in Chinese history myself, although I'm not super good at it. Um, I had actually written a mnemonic about the Chinese dynasties. And like many mnemonics, it's supremely corny in some ways, but I thought I might share it (laughs) as my deep dive as a way to kind of talk you through and see if I can get some of these to remember. And part of my mnemonic, because I like to help Americans, Chinese is written in a system called pinyin, which is their word for the Roman alphabet that they use with tone marks on it. It's written in a way that makes a lot of sense if you know the sounds that Chinese makes, because they have consonants that we don't have. But if you're trying to approximate it from English, it can be really hard, because you're like, what sound does a Q make? What sound does a ZH make? Mm -hmm. So I see it all the time on Jeopardy! on other TV shows, people not even getting it close. I hear podcasters all the time just guessing. I wish they would go to Wikipedia, maybe, and look it up and just like listen once. I guess I can't expect that of everybody, but I thought that I would put in a few pronunciation hints, not like super correct Mandarin, you know, pronunciation, but at least a good approximation on how to pronounce some of those dynasty names. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to weave that in here with my deep dive. So the first dynasty, and this is, of course, simplified because nothing is really clean cut um, with dynasties and where they ruled. There were parts of China ruled by different groups at different times, but this is the big family dynasties that kind of go through history. Um, The first one that we have that shows up in history is the Shang dynasty, S-H-A-N-G, Shang. And they ruled from about 1600 to 1046 BCE. Um, And I like to put into my mnemonic here to remember that the A is long as in father, it's Shang. Don't rhyme it with bang because nothing in Mandarin Chinese rhymes with bang. If you're saying something in Chinese and it rhymes with bang, you're not saying it right. So remember that it rhymes with long. Shang is long. And you can remember because they ruled for a rather long time. The Shang dynasty ruled a long time, 16 to 1046 BCE. And during this dynasty, Chinese writing began to develop. So the earliest um, examples we have of Chinese characters are from this time period. The second dynasty in this list is the Zhou the Zhou Dynasty is spelled Z-H-O-U, and Z-H in that situation is just kind of like an English J. Um, so I like to remember it. this dynasty is just a dynasty for your average Zhou, and that can help you remember that it was a Zhou. Because at this point, China wasn't yet an empire, but they carried on just a bunch of average Zhou's from about 1046 to 256 BCE. That was 800 years, making the Zhou Dynasty the longest lasting of all of them. Um, This is when some of the really classic um, cultural movements that we know that came out of China came to be Confucianism, Taoism, and legalism all emerged during the Zhou dynasty. 
Um, we get a little period of messiness until the next dynasty appears. The next one we see is the Qin dynasty, Q-I-N, Qin, and it lasts from 221 to 207 BCE. So pronounces like C-H-E-E-N, Qin, but a hint to say this Chinese Q, say it while you're smiling with your teeth showing. That'll help you pronounce the Qin. This first imperial dynasty was powerful but short, lasting only 15 years. So imagine the first emperor, the Qin emperor, smiling with his teeth showing. So he's so happy to have created an empire and to know that his mausoleum will be guarded by the terracotta warriors of Xi'an. But that smile doesn't last long because someone comes and punches him on the chin and takes that one for themselves. So, okay. <laughs> more news would be corny. <laughs> After the Qin um, comes the Han Dynasty. So the Han Dynasty lasted from about 202 BCE to 220 CE. So right around the BC to the AD period. Um, and it's pronounced just like you can remember it as Han Solo, the character Han Solo from Star Wars. So this was a time of classic Chinese culture, sometimes referred to as a golden age. The Han period was so definitive that the majority ethnic group of China that I mentioned already still calls themselves the Han, and the Chinese characters that they write with are called Hanzi, which means Han characters. So this is a very like defining the, the culture and the quality of the nation era. So you would be just as proud if you were descended from Han Solo. So hopefully that can help somebody remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's the Han Dynasty. We have a little bit more messiness after that. Um, then we come up with the Sui Dynasty. Sui is spelled S-U-I, but it's pronounced like Sui, like to sway back and forth. It goes from 581 to 618 CE. We skipped a few other minor dynasties and political situations because the country was swaying back and forth between rulers until they finally settled on the Sui Dynasty in 581. Um, the Sui are known for building the Grand Canal, which is the largest, largest artificial river in the world, and it connects their western capital of Chang'an to the area near modern Beijing. So if you were piloting a boat down the Grand Canal from Chang'an to Beijing, you would probably sway back and forth on the water quite a bit. So there's that one. <laughs> right. After the Sui comes the Tang. The Tang Dynasty doesn't sound like the drink Tang. It's spelled like Tang, but it's pronounced Tang. They lasted from 618 to 907. And if it helps you remember, think of a pair of tongs to grab something. So the Tong were in power. They were known for their cultural refinement and especially their poetry. So I imagine people handling delicate old books of fine poetry with specially designed golden tongs. So these little golden tongs picking up these very delicate books of poetry. Okay. <laughs> Next, we have the Song Dynasty. It's spelled like song, S-O-N-G in English, but don't sing. It's not like the English word song. Um, it lasts from 960 to 1279. Um, this one's a stretch, <laughs> if it helps. Okay. It's pronounced with a long O as in bone. So song is like the O in bone. You can think of the people at that time cooking up a warm bowl of bone broth. So they would be happy to drink some nice warm bone broth because from about 960 to 1279, the cultivation of rice was expanding and there were food surpluses. So you can think of a large, happy population enjoying hearty meals of rice and bone broth in the Song Dynasty. The next one, we're almost there. Three more to go. <laughs> the next one, the UN. So this is the one spelled Y-U-A-N. And it's pronounced like the United Nations, like the UN, but just say it quickly together. One word, the UN. 
And you can think of the United Nations because now we have another nation coming in. So this is when the Mongols decided to unite themselves, basically take over China. This started in 1271 and lasted to 1368. Kublai Khan was the first leader in this dynasty. And so it was that kind of foreign dynasty coming in and taking over rule of imperial China. Second to last one is the Ming. The Ming lasted from 1368 to 1644. Almost every movie from a certain era involves a priceless Ming base. That just is a thing I think I've heard a lot. So this period um, was the perfect time for China to begin trading Ming vases, among other things, to countries around the world. So after Marco Polo, who arrived there during the last days of the UN, everyone else in Europe would have started to notice China and think, oh, where can I get a vase like that for myself? So that's kind of the Ming period was when the rest of the world began to trade and be more aware of China on a global scale. And this was the last dynasty ruled by Han Chinese. So this was the last of the native Han um, dynasties. Right after that, in 1636 through 1912, is the Qing. And Qing is also spelled with a Q, so it's Q-I-N-G. So just like the Qin we had earlier, they're a slightly different tone. You don't really have to say the tone in English, but it's the Qin and the Qing. The Qing dynasty, you can think of Qing rhymes with Ming, but we say it's smiling again. Mm -hmm. um, the Manchurians, or the Manchus, came to power in China in around 1644, and they were probably smiling about it, so they can be smiling here too. The Qing remained in power until 1911, when the rebels of the Republic decided to send them to heaven. 1911, send them to heaven. I don't know, that rhyme worked in my mind. So, okay. If you've seen the Best Picture Oscar winner from 1987, The Last Emperor, you'll know that the last Qing emperor wasn't killed, he was just ousted. So um, he stayed around for quite a while and was kind of a vestige of that last Qing dynasty. So there we go. We started with the Shang, the Zhou, little boring states period in between there. The Qin, the Han, the Sui, Tang, the Song, the Yuan, the Ming, and the Qing. Those are the main dynasties of China. Okay. I will yeah. certainly remember those a lot more effectively now. <laughs> Hopefully. It helps to, to go over and review it every once in a while, too. But. Yeah. And hopefully those pronunciation guides help people, too, because it's always a little bit hard trying to guess how they want you to say it. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Thank you. Yeah, this is something I never – it's not it's something I was never taught. It's always mm -hmm. something I've had to, like, look up, and I don't really have a foundation for it. It's just like, this is a list that I'm memorizing now. So that's that's very helpful. And it's a lot more history than we ever had to learn, so mm – -hmm. <laughs> And so I also have a few questions for you kind of based on Chinese history, if you're interested. Oh, yes. You know I am. All right. Let's see how we do here. All right. I've got three um, moderate level questions and then one hard one for the end. Okay. Um, the first one here. Chinese writing evolved over many centuries. Early examples from the Shang and the Zhou dynasties were type of characters now called bronze script because they survived mostly on, on um, engraved bronze bells and cauldrons. The subsequent script, which became standard during the Qin dynasty, is called seal script because of its use in engraved name seals. So like the, the stone seal that they carve their name in and stamp it. So we've got the, the bronze script and the seal script. Predating both of these, the earliest known form of Chinese writing, is known in Chinese as jiaguwen. So jiaguwen, it's named this because of what it was written on. What is the English name for this script, or what are the objects it was written on? Ooh. Objects they were written on. Objects is an interesting, it's an interesting choice of word for that. 
Because if it's just like, I don't know, if it's just paper or clay, it doesn't necessarily point to objects. And I had I had something come to mind, and I really don't I don't know why, <laughs> but I'm gonna go with bones. That is correct. Oh yes, mm, I don't know I don't know why I have that in my head, but apparently Someone I do. Exactly memory. This is done in English usually as the oracle bone script, um, oh, okay. and it, they use turtle shells and animal bones, and they would write on the bones and then put them into a fire and crack them as a form of divination. So that's why they were called oracle bones because the cracks would do something. So the very earliest the very earliest Chinese writing we have is from bones and turtle shells. Nice. Well done. That was somewhere in there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The next one I have. Luo Guanzhong is the name of an author who wrote one of the four great classical novels of Chinese literature. Written in the 14th century, it is named for an interdynastic period in Chinese history. What is the name of the novel? Oh, man. This, these four novels come up so much and I never <laughs> have learned them. Oh. Interdynastic. So one of those messy yeah. periods. There's there are a couple of terms that come to mind. Um, I'm just going to go with three kingdoms. That is the right period. So you're okay. almost there. The name of the novel is The Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Okay. The four novels, there's The Romance of the Three Kingdoms. There's The Dream of the Red Chamber, The Water Margin, and The Journey to the West. Those okay. show up. At some point in trivia. <laughs> yeah, I remembered half of each of those titles. I remembered something about over the West. I remembered a, a red something, and I remembered a water something. <laughs> Almost there. Yeah. All right. This next question is, a 2002 film by Zhang Yimou that stars Jet Li, Tony Lung, Maggie Chung, Zhang Ziyi, and Donnie Yen, those are all very famous Chinese actors, mm-hmm. is set in the Warring States period, which was the era right before the unification of China by the Qin Emperor. It was one of the highest grossing films ever in China and was very popular abroad, earning an Oscar nomination for Best Foreign Language Film. What is the English name of this film? Oh, geez, 2002? 2002. It came out in China in 2002. It wasn't released in the U.S. till 2004. Uh, I, I might be way off on this. I do not remember any films from that time period because uh, I was like in middle school and I wasn't paying attention to anything. So the only one that comes to mind is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Right era, not quite the right film. This one is called Hero. Oh, Hero. Oh, Jet Li. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a rather fictionalized because they don't know very much about the period they're depicting, but about a rather fictionalized version of the Warring States period right before the Qin Emperor takes control. So one of my favorites. I really like that one. Haven't haven't seen it. I need to. Yeah, it's a a good one. All right. And here is your hard question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What was the name of the last emperor of China? You can give his short name or his long name. (laughs) Oh, my God. What was his name? I don't think I know this. I mean, I've seen the movie. But I, that was also a long time ago. And it, it's probably it's probably a name I've heard and probably a name I will recognize. But I don't think I'm able to pull it because my brain just... The only thing coming to my mind is Chiang Kai-shek, which I know is not correct, but 
that's what we'll go with. Wrong person. Right. Well, yeah, right there. They, they overlapped. His name is Pui. P-U-Y-I. Pui, yep. And that's kind of, that's good enough name. Everybody will know who you're talking about. His official long name, because again, he was Manchu and they had, well, also being an emperor, you have many mm-hmm. names. But his Manchu name was Aishinjuelo Pui. So it's very long for a Chinese name. Okay. So. I didn't know that. I had to look it up. My husband knew it. I was impressed. But uh, nice. way to yeah. go! So there you go. You did pretty well for uh, a surprise Chinese history quiz. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Chinese history is is a big weak point for me. So, well, so this has all been extremely helpful. Any, yeah, I'll be interested to see if we have any listeners who were like, "Oh, come on, Anarchy, that was the easy stuff." So, <laughs> I mean, I I imagine I imagine there are. I mean, I. We are we are smart folk. We know things. So cool. Well, thank you, Anarchy. That was really, really helpful and uh, just really interesting. It was a good time. It was a fun yeah. week's worth of shows to, to comb through. Yeah. And th- thank you for stepping in and, and filling in for Emily. It's been it's been nice to talk to you and nice to nice to do this. Again. Good to catch up. And uh, thank you, listeners. Thanks for spending spending your time with us. We know your your time is at a premium, so we appreciate it. Again, if you want to support us financially, you can go to patreon.com slash potent potables. Uh, and even even aside from that, if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, uh, you can just let them know about the show. Get them, get them to listen. Uh, you can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. So until next week, uh, when we will be back with another week of Jeopardy and a deep dive and a quiz, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Thanks. Bye-bye.